Welcome back to The Pipe. <laughs> I'm your host, Chris, along with co-host Steve Johnson. Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. It's good to see you again. And our special guest is back without a meeting to go to. Yeah. You probably, I bet you got a meeting coming up soon, don't you? No, I'm just going to the gym after this. That's awesome. And Vicar John, Stone, John Stone. So I don't die. The John Stone. So um, we're back with this series on continued education. So how should you continue your education? You definitely should. But we talked about... Um, Conferences, seminary, discipleship, and now we're going to talk about books, friends, other things we haven't talked about. How do you continue your education? So, Steve, like, do you have a maybe a book, Bible study, or something like that that maybe you regularly go back to, like a good movie that you're always learning and gleaning wisdom from or experience or your education from? Mm, I had an answer until that last little sentence um, <laughs> of the gleaning, like meaning like depthy enough to where each time you read it, you find something new. No, that is not that is not this book. But, um, and it's one of those situations where someone says, what's your favorite food? And you say pizza. And you're like, I know everyone says that. Uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes has just oh, yeah. really been a great mm, textbook. I love Kent Hughes. Phenomenal. Man. His insights from 1991 <laughs> on things that technology have only has only made tougher. Yeah. It's incredible. That's, that, that's one for me is definitely Disciplines of a Godly Man. Yeah. Another one that's not uh, ministerial by nature is uh, Thank You for Arguing um, by uh, Jay Heinrichs. And it is a book on rhetoric, and it is pop rhetoric. And he oh, is wow. very, very much like mm. like the pontiff over here uh, where you can uh, come to lofty topics but do so with the everyman references. Yeah, Thank You for Arguing is a fantastic book. So and, is and it how reason, to engage in discussion or well, how to engage a, in public? It's understanding rhetoric. It's understanding everything is an appeal from mm. the moment that your uh, alarm goes off in the morning. It's appealing uh, to you to wake up to all the different things. And I just find it a valuable resource in um, human contact. You know, understanding, uh, it'll sound manipulative, but rhetoric is not. It's a powerful, powerful tool. I mean, all the way down to the fact that Jesus used the Socratic method when he would answer a question with a question. It's just so darn valuable in all aspects of life. So it, I think those two books really stand above the others for me. What reading level do you think that would, book would be? Well, I'm probably third, fourth grade. No, uh, the, thank you for arguing. Yeah. Oh, man. Is that something you would go through with uh, a high school student? Yes, absolutely. It references everything from Plato to Homer Simpson. Like, he's... Do high school students know who Homer Simpson is? Yeah, it's yeah, I think so. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't steer them to him, but I'm just saying, like, it's it is very relevant. Yeah, and it's also so within the margins, you've got little little tiny paragraphs that'll say, "Try this next time you're in a meeting." Like, it's it's just every page has application on it, and it's great. And rhetoric is a beautiful thing that it's another gift from God that we tend to look at as. Mm. Is uh, with negative connotations, we ought not to. Has it yeah. had any impact on your preaching? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I would say probably for me, um, being able to read a room and recognizing probably what, based off of their reaction to this illustration, how I can tailor the subsequent mm. uh, illustrations is really really important. Yeah. And then, but then within that, I mean little things like this will sound dirty because you're not trying to convince, I mean, you're trying to trying to convince them of God's truth, but you're not trying to manipulate. But when I use my illustrations, um, and you get this, I mean, we've mentioned Brian Chappell's book on preaching, Christ-centered preaching, little things you know, you never point the finger at them, point the finger at you. But but if you are trying to 
convince them of a point and you have yourself as kind of the anti-hero in that, it's a lot more winsome. And so just thing, things like that, I'd have to really sit down because that's a great question and figure out how that's actually helped me. I'd say it helps me more on my Wednesday night talks with the high schoolers, though, yeah. for sure. What about you, John? Book or something you could keep going back to? Um, you, so the probably the three things that I had the biggest resonance in my life, and I'm unapologetic on the first one, is just R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that R.C. Sproul would – play well today but he he helped me understand the importance of theology and that everybody has a theology right and he just worked that out well for me any of his books I would commend any of his videos secondly um, I, I would just say what Tim Keller says about what a church should be so Tim Keller does a lot of preaching it's all fantastic I can't preach like Tim Keller, I don't think like him. And for instance, his book, Reason for God, is so esoteric and yeah, and, and hard to get at. I mean, I can see how it helps certain people. But he does a lot of... So I subscribed to his podcast. Well, back then it was a cassette tape. Yeah. From the 90s. Yeah. I still got bags of his cassette tapes. But they did these periodic things on... He, he back then, every two years, said, why does Redeemer exist? That stuff is gold, and it helped me understand what RUF was teaching me about philosophy of ministry. It helped me understand, uh, and, and I still listen to it, why a church is here and what a church needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thir- thirdly, and I'm going with Simon Sinek. Sinek. Simon Sinek, his stuff on leadership uh, has helped me in a bunch of ways. And then I... I take from Simon Sinek something a little different, not even unique, but different. Simon is saying, this is what I'm going to say, what is your church culture? You know, know, we're here to reach our neighbors and love the city. That's not the important question. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you better do those two things. What do you want people to think about your church? So do you want them to think it's serious do you want them to think it's casual? Do you want them to think it's fun? Do you want them to think it's angry? Like that that question is the most important question for what a church is. And so... Um, well, and also his point on everybody can tell you what. Most people can tell you how. Can't tell you few why. people can tell you why. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm saying... And some of this is this offshoot thing, like just reading about Google and... Facebook, like when they started, people made fun of, you know, they would build these break rooms with ping pong tables. And basically what they were saying is, shouldn't this be fun? Mm-hmm. This will probably take me four podcasts to explain that your your seven readers will want to know. But like, for me... Oh, sir, they don't actually read our podcast. <laughs> if they're required to read this, no one would. I'm doing something new in my head right now, Steve. Um, but, um, we should have told them how this works. <laughs> um, listeners, but... Uh, like, church ought not be hard. Mm-hmm. It ought to be simple, and it ought to be fun, or kind of what I would say. You've got to, um, and, and I would say this, and, you know, CFC at times has tried to make church really hard. Mm-hmm. And let's make it simple and easy and fun. Well, yeah, if it's glorify God and enjoy Him yeah. forever, the enjoyment part should probably come into the equation. But if you notice, one thing you learned about me is I'm an auditory learner. So books have not been as significant to me as videos are, it took me a while to understand that I kept making an A in this one history professor class and a B, and she was a big reader. 
not a great lecturer. And the other guy was this amazing lecturer. And it dawned on me I learned by hearing. So most of what I do is, like I'll listen to four or five sermons this week on my phone about First Corinthians 9. And yet you read podcasts. That's so contrary to what I would have thought. <laughs> hey, readers out there. <laughs> Go ahead and turn the page as we get into it. I guess this is reading for people who are blind. So yeah. um, I would say that for mine, thanks for asking, by the way, Steve. Oh, I hey, Chris. For my, I didn't notice you there. <laughs> uh, Why Small Groups by C.J. Mahaney is probably one of those that um, every time I go through different things, it's so practical to me that it just makes sense. Um, it, it just it just makes small group ministry, which good youth ministries I have, I think well, are really essential. Part of that is small groups. Well, for sure in youth group, just in life. So a small group a big deal for you? Yeah, growing up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I'm in youth ministry too, because mm. the youth minister, or the lack of a youth minister and us having to fill in my senior year as the the ad hoc youth ministry department with four other friends in that small group was pretty impactful for me. Because I, I look back and I'm like, hey, Chris, if you could go back to that senior year of youth ministry and all that mm. stuff, would you do it? Heck yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah. Like, I love it. I want to Is that recreate. the one y'all got fired from eventually? The church we got kicked out of, yeah. <laughs> that was it. You got kicked out of the church. I couldn't remember. That's yeah. amazing. So, but that was formative. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was not only a small group, that was a mission. This is my, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's one book. Keep going. What are your other ones? I would say uh, Christopher Ash's Deal Without Burnout. Have you read that? Never heard of it. No. So RYM gave it, the year you worked for RYM, they gave that book for free, little white book. But I wasn't on that. What I was doing oh, okay. was different. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't on that side of. Um, no, I mean it's just so good about like he tells his story, confesses about how he went through burnout, mm. and he talks about here are some practical steps I wish I would have taken. And so I mean I read that book once a year. When Lindsay started with us, I was like, "There's tons of book about books about how to do youth ministry. Read Zeal Without Burnout first. Learn how to build a frame around your life that will protect you and boundaries that will protect you from burning out. Um, and I, I really I love that book. He's so practical and gracious and kind, and, and he's really transparent. He's pretty vulnerable in it. Um, I could really relate to that. And so that's when I keep coming back to um, regularly. Youth pastors are probably, I'm, in our culture, everybody assumes that they're more you know unique than they actually are, I think. Um, but I think in one unique way, I just love reading Kent Hughes' commentary series. Hmm. Like, I just love it. I'll read pieces Which are of really Job. His, it's a good series. It's just his sermons that somebody turned yeah. into a commentary, yeah. I mean, well, Chris Rash did Job, and so I bought that because um, I think Nancy Guthrie did a Teach Me the Bible podcast or whatever yeah. with Chris Rash doing Job. So I picked up the book and realized it was Kent Hughes' series, and that's what I did for my quiet times for a year. And I still go back to Job, and I can just do the, what do you call it, the the flop and flip or whatever yeah, yeah. thing. And start reading right <laughs> there. Start reading wherever, and Especially it's just Especially considering that's Job. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, I don't, know, I don't know why it's so impactful for me, but it just well, means I, a lot. I don't, so Chris has worked here at the church for <laughs> a year and a half? Two? Yeah, around there, yeah. At the end of August, it'll be two years. Yeah. August, so almost two years. So I can't say I know you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you're a good youth pastor, and I love you, and I'm getting to know you. But I'm not surprised that Job is a book really? you find meaning in. 
a bit chaotic, <laughs> yeah. nonlinear, yeah. circular. That's not insulting. That, no, no, yeah. that's me. I, yeah, like a little bit it. like, huh. I, yeah. So another, so this is for, I mean, there's not many people listening to this. Maybe this is for the, when y'all hit it big and people review. In 10 years. When they review these podcasts. <laughs> Some of what's going to answer this question for you is what you're doing. Yeah. So if Simon Sinek and Keller, what I'm listening to now are about how they ran their church. And you've got a question here I want to jump into here in a second. But um, So what I have to do is run a, an organization of a certain size with a certain amount of people, with a certain amount of employees. And that's a, we call that being a shepherd. Yeah. And you're a shepherd also, but I'm a shepherd of shepherds and a shepherd of... And so some of what my questions determine what I listen to or read. There is a... Uh, there's a there's a leadership stuff out there about on Bowen family systems. And if you would just put Bowen family theory in YouTube, there's like a six minute YouTube video comes up, talks about triangulation, talks about differentiation. That's been the most helpful stuff of stepping into the head pastor's role Hmm. because it talks about not getting triangulated between your staff, your session, your members, yourself. It talks about knowing how to know who you are, and I, I I watch that about every six months. So is this directed towards pastors? No, no. This is about leadership. It's just about it's, okay. it, it says it essentially says every organization ends up triangulating itself: families, yeah, youth ministries, churches, schools, Google, and and the triangles are you know and it'd be you, Amanda are two poles, and the children are thirds. So sometimes it's Amanda and children against you. You and Amanda gets the children. You and the you know, uh, sometimes the children split up, and it's huh. and realizing that you're being pulled into this emotional organization that's trying to make you make decisions emotionally instead of rationally is a big deal. And what he talks about is great leaders differentiate themselves from the group. They can step out of the group and go, "No, what's happening? They're scared. They're angry." They both want me to do the wrong thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna disappoint them both and do the right thing, and they'll both eventually see that. But I have to be differentiated. I can't get pulled into that. There's a whole. It's amazing, and I this will be pretty esoteric. Like the 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 main here's how I would teach youth pastors. This, what parents say about you is seldom true in either direction. When they're complimenting you, they're right, but they don't know where you've been lazy. When they're saying that their child didn't connect with you and it was terrible, they're wrong there too because you gave a bunch of effort towards that kid and that kid is lying to his parents. And learning to go, what there's, I need to hear what's being said. I'm not hanging out with youth enough. I'm hanging out. But I, it's not who I am. Yeah. And that I can stand there and really be justified in Christ is a humongous moment for leaders. But I, I you ask here books something in friends. This is continuing ed, right? Yeah. Most important thing I do for continue, continue continuing education is that five pastors and I get together every year and we have the exact same size church. Eerily, we almost have the same churches. And so why that's the most important thing is we don't get together this would be valuable. We get together once a year to say how are you doing spiritually? You know, what do you want to see change in your marriage? What do you want to see change in your life? You know, but the other time we get together is 
how do you run a church of 500 people? And there's no book on that. The guy down the street's got 1,200. Your other buddy's got 250. Both are beautiful-sized churches, all of them, right? The 250-person mm-hmm. church has all these benefits and beauties. The 1,200-person has, and I have all these, you know. Yeah. But it is crazy helpful to sit in the room and go, uh, do you have a director of operations? Do you have an executive pastor? Um, who oversees your youth pastor? Do you? What What are the questions? How do you evaluate him? Um what do you do on a staff retreat? Do you do staff? Like that idea of getting together and just going. And, and Christians can be a little afraid of this. Like, what do you do? And oh, how do you. very afraid of it. And it's the most important yeah. thing you can ever do is get together in a room with people doing the same thing and go, tell me what you do. Like, what does your week look like? Yeah. Um, why did you put staff meeting on Wednesday and not Monday? Why do you take Thursday off? Or why do you take Monday off? Or what? Yep. The number one most important thing in being discipled is you finding people in very similar, and you may have to just go out and create go, hey, you don't know me, but you know we went to RYM together, or we went to, the, and we yeah. have. To, I want to talk to you because you're in the same boat I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just can't overplay. You know, mom with three boys meeting with another mom with three boys; those sisters gonna hit it off. And they do. I mean, I think <laughs> the last church I was at it was five different families, all had the same size, all had the oldest sons the exact same age. Right. Went on family vacations together and actually worked. Yes. Like, and it's a beaut. That's who we hired as interns last summer. Right. Right. <laughs> was right. all those boys? Well, and I would say, you going to somebody in a traditional church starting a youth group, crazy helpful. And me talking to, so that's my, that's how I do continuing it. I listen. Yeah to a lot of lectures and sermons. I occasionally go back and read some books that were helpful, but mostly I watch R.C. Sproul videos and go, yeah. I could not say that in my pulpit and get away with it. <laughs> and it's so true. Uh, he emboldens me sometimes to remember yeah. that the sovereignty of God is beautiful. And that group of guys I get together with is, and this is not the, this is some people, but this isn't the, man, they sued my soul. Like, they made me feel sane. Like yeah. they were angry, or no, no, I'm never angry. They were really frustrated, trying to fix this issue in their church that I was trying to fix. Yeah, no, I think you, I mean you hit on a thing. The reason this podcast exists is because youth pastors feel like it's cocky to talk about what you do. You must talk about. You must talk about why your large group's succeeding and you have failing. To. Why your volunteers succeed and fail? Why you hate the interns you hired for the summer? Why you hate the two people you you don't hate them? Why they're great? What was the process you did that? You have to. What was your best volunteer? You and you should mimic the people doing successful stuff. Steal those ideas. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, we've talked about this before on the show. You obviously weren't here for yeah. that, but and you're probably not one of our eleven listeners. But <laughs> but one of the things is benchmarking, marking other churches, stealing their ideas, visiting other churches. Just pivotable. It's super important. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, Chris. Like, like this idea, like, oh, we figured <laughs> out. You ain't figured out no, nothing, Stone. That someone else hasn't. <laughs> Here's how you make a church work. Chris, you've heard me say this. If you want your church to work, you need to kill it with kids. You need to kill it with youth. You need to preach really well. Then you need to have a men's and women's ministry. And lastly, you got to have a decent worship band. That's last. Yeah. Everybody's making, they got a great worship band, but nobody, you know, every mom feels unsafe giving their kids to that youth work, to that child worker, like mimic this stuff. 
Yeah. So when so when you get together with those guys, is there a basic structure? Or is it just come out well, based we, on the rel- relative to the season that you're in? We use a Slack channel, and so we'll like we're having a discussion right now about something. Um, whether we're going to pass the time, uh, the plate again because everybody's oh, yeah. quit, you know hey what, you could go back or not because what you got by not passing the plate is time in the worship service yeah a lot and now people don't know they've adjusted to the new structure of no plate being passed and communion going quicker and and they'll go back the other way it's just like if your youth group mm-hmm. sits on the floor they can only imagine sitting on the floor if they sit in chairs they can only yeah but like so we're using a but as we get near that time. Uh, we'll usually say, hey, Stone, why don't you talk about hiring? You've hired a lot of people. Hey, Les, why don't you talk about sessional rotation? But then what comes out of that, and we only go go 35 minutes. You can do it off the top of your head almost like, well, here's how I hire people. Here's how I've done the process. I do da-da-da-da. I use da-da-da. And then, man, question. Because they're in it. Yeah. These are same-size churches, essentially almost the same budget. Um you know, you know. One time we said, "What is the best committee you have in your church, and what's the worst committee you have?" Why? It's not that the committee exists. Why? You know, you know. It's really leadership and those kind of things. So we don't necessarily. We do it about a month ahead. Yeah. But something that we're probably talking about that Slack channel. Somebody's saying we're going to get together in July. Like, oh, let's talk about that in July. Okay, great. So there's a lot more structure to it than what I would have imagined. It seems. You're, well, you're around me who doesn't do a lot of structure stuff, right? And so your impression of John is like John just sort of wings it all the time. But <laughs> for that, you can't show up in New York City in a hotel and just get in a room and go, what do you want to talk about? Like, if you don't prompt yourself to talk about stuff, mm-hmm. you won't talk about it. So it's only structured in the sense that we'll say 30-minute lecture Q&A. Yeah. Sometimes we actually have another lecture, a little, and we're like, no, this is the stay here. Yeah. And you can do it tomorrow. You can do it next time. Nobody's feelings are hurt. So it is structured, but we've learned to go, what do you, you know, yeah, what are your problems? You invite people outside, outside of that five right to now, speak to issues? or um, We usually invite somebody in the city we visit. And so, like, when we went to Atlanta, we we have a pastor coming and say, hey, we'll buy you lunch. Come here at 1030, and we're going to ask you three, and we want you to answer these three questions, but only go 30 minutes, and then we're going to ask you questions for an hour. Yeah. And so that works really well. It doesn't matter the pastor, just somebody that's been there, done that? Or just some somebody people, a little larger than your funny, church? It's funny. We're looking for the, I mean, all the all the literature says that churches, I forget the numbers, Chris. We could look at it. Churches mm-hmm. struggle to get past, I think it's 80, 250, 500. You know, there are these barriers. And we all of these churches are at that barrier. Yeah. Whatever it is, that 500 barrier. And, um, so we we'd like to find guys who've either who can really articulate. Man, I remember the five hundred days. You know, we were struggling. We kept having staff turnover, yeah. or whatever that was. Um, we really like that, and so, but it's really, it's more self directed, and a lot of it is just like to eat and hang out at night, and like we did it in Tucson. This because Tucson was kind of open in the pandemic, and we like hiked and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. How long have you known the guys? I said like Les Newsome, Jason, uh, uh, 20, 25 years. So how did that start? Like how do you, so for youth pastors that are listening to this, like they're like, okay, that's great. You've been doing it for 25 years and you're a well-connected person via RUF. You could pick, pick and choose kind of your, who's in that circle. How do you do that if you're, if you're just starting that? 
Well, if you're a youth guy listening to this, you're starting, you've got to find your training ground to meet people. In other words, all of these guys came out of RUF. And there are other guys we'd like to invite, but they're either in church plants, 200-person churches, or 1,000-person churches. Uh They'd be valuable, but they just face a whole different set of questions. Like, this is like, for the sake of illustration, it's like I was trained on a Cessna, and now they've popped me in the seat of a 747. I got the basics of flying. (laughs) Yeah. But a lot of these buttons aren't necessarily making sense. I'd like some other people who are having to push those buttons. So we picked the group over friendship and longevity. But it, it just like yours, Chris, it was created out of this, all right, I'm going to commit to uh, frontier ministry youth training. You know, mm-hmm. And you just go every year, and then you meet people, and you discover you have the same problems, and you discover you can be honest. So you can't do it overnight. Yeah, But you have to put some time in. And quite honestly, if you find some decently humble, nice guys in your community who are doing youth, I bet if you called them and said, I'm dying, (laughs) will you meet with me for an afternoon? You had some guy call me last week from um, a pastor. Oh, Chattanooga, Dennis. Dennis. Oh, yeah. And Dennis and I talked for an hour and a half and... About four, you know, about forty-four minutes in, Chris, I was like, I don't really think I'm helping him. And I finally said, I don't know what I said, but I said, Dennis, let me just guess what you're feeling, because I was a little lost. That's not true. Dennis was really helpful in describing his situation. And I was interested, and I, you know, I just said something. He goes, Pastor, that's it. And then I could really help him, yeah, because I understood. And you know, and so he just called me randomly. Yeah, like most nice Christian pa- now, not mega church pastors who like got so much on their plate, but like find a youth guy. Call call Chris. Chris may answer your questions here on the podcast. Yeah, I just did the same. Another guy texted me. I I refer people like crazy. I had, I don't have time to handle. Who did you refer? Did you refer somebody else to me? No. So oh. that another guy that was uh, Jason was at the RWAM yeah. youth leader training he's like we're trying to do this family ministry thing and i was like i suck at that but wes andrews he's a baller at that call wes here's his number first have him call me where i can say don't do family-based youth ministry <laughs> it wasn't that oh, okay, it was okay. something it was like in a, it was they're trying to bring synergy to their whole Cause, church because family-based youth ministry just says you hate your children <laughs> yeah so it wasn't that okay but like it was very you understood the question yeah right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, i mean so i'm doing that stuff all the time yeah and from time to time somebody will call me about a different random thing hey you moved across the world how did that go <laughs> you know like how did that go chris <laughs> it was rocky emotionally <laughs> professionally it was smart <laughs> huh well, so, why was it rocky emotionally <laughs> This is a whole nother podcast. Yeah, it is a whole nother. We ought to do that as a podcast. No, we can. We can yeah, totally do for that. Sure. No, I mean, it, if you want to get into the nuts and bolts, I mean, I grew up in Alabama my whole life. Mm. And as you say, I moved to Pluto. Yeah. So it's it's very hard. But I wasn't like it. Like, I didn't. You traveled around to a lot of places. Yeah, I had some previous than that. So, yeah. like, your, when you talk about your family home where your girls grew up and stuff like moving moving there was hard. Like, I remember just breaking down, sobbing with my kids. And I told Amanda, don't look at me and go to the other <laughs> room. Like, I, I couldn't do it in my old house. Like, when we were walking out to, to uh-huh. we were living with somebody else for a week because we sold our house on time. Like, so it, it was just hard. So emotionally coming here and seeing lizards and rattlesnakes and things that want to eat my children. And 
That actually helps me understand the discussion we had today about you and your dad. Oh, I, yeah. No, honestly, it does. Like, yeah, 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 it helps me a little bit. Sorry. So it was. It was that really was some inside baseball, right there. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, so I mean, as far as like moving the the emotional, it wasn't actually an emotional stress as much as it was an um, emotional vulnerability. Mm. I'm really uncovered. I don't have friends. I don't. I'm, I don't have a ministry. Like I don't like. I don't remember who it may have been Dennis actually that I was talking to last week. Um, that I was saying, you know, while I was gone, I only got two work phone calls of people trying to figure out exactly how the system works. And then I got one text message from a kid showing me kind of their, their, their dance pictures from the school dance. Um, and usually I get more than that. And That's a good thing. It's one of those things where I said, I don't know if it's like I should get a pat on the back because the system works or if it's I'm disconnected from the kids, whereas in Alabama, it's like I get nothing but text messages constantly. So I, I, We're going to do a little pastoral ministry here, friends. Well, I understand. <laughs> Go, so, for Go for it. Go for it. I think you have to acknowledge you've only done youth ministry here for a year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, in four years, that'd be a different deal. And I just, uh, yeah, I'm I just know, reminding I know. you of that. I know, like, yeah. Pandemic, you did well in the pandemic, but also like, <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember pre-pandemic in some ways. It's yeah. we. I really don't either. It's crazy. I can't imagine it. Yeah. But, but it is one of those things. Like, is because I don't have those relationship benchmarks or those things right. that really indicate you're in a close relationship with people. Those didn't really exist while I was on vacation and going to conferences, and so. It's one of those things where I'm like, is this good? Is this bad? Like, yeah. I'm still kind of lonely. I'm still kind of dealing with that la- with a lack of friendship, and so it's it's really hard in that sense. So even out here, let you meet Steve, um, who has who has since left. Steve, the reason that we're talking so much is Steve just took the headset off his head and walked out of his podcast, leaving me, Pastor John Stone of Kelly, as the co-host of yeah, this podcast. Right. That I don't know what the Hype means, but I'm glad to co-host with you. <laughs> that's right. So, it's an honor. Um, it's really an honor. Yeah. But it's one of those things where Steve had a similar past. He's kind of a mutt of the PCA. He's kind of mm. occupational leper. He doesn't have a college degree like me. So we have a lot of things in common. And it just turned into a really fruitful friendship. Yeah. Where we can talk about things we have in common. Um, and really confess sin. We can really. And, and he's a great resource because he was here for so many years. Yeah. Like, how do you understand this person? Oh, man, let me tell you. And he loves to talk about it. <laughs> that's true. Um, he, knows, he knows, as they say in the vernacular, where the bodies are buried. That's exactly <laughs> right. He knows a Hoffa is, which I think they just discovered Hoffa's body. Really? I think so. It's uh, on my Yahoo ticker said they've discovered, they believe they've discovered Hoffa's body. Dude. That's big news. That's way bigger than the election. <laughs> way bigger. I think so. Yeah, but uh, no. So I mean, it's one of those things: cultivating friendships. So let me yeah, let me say this to our to our eleven youth pastors and future people listening: just go find somebody. Yeah. Just if and you may have. It's kind of like finding a counselor. The first three may fail you or, or not work out. Don't stop. Yeah. Because it, just sitting around doing a podcast saying, "Well, what's discipleship?" What's Christianity? It just helps, man. Oh yeah, and that's the point of this podcast, right? I don't. We can talk about what the gospel is. Is Kurt Cooper listening to us? No. <laughs> so what Kurt's doing, you know, our conference for I do know that. youth, 
middle school, so I, I'm going to take this stuff up there. Do I know anybody listening to us? Probably not. Oh, hey, guys. John, there's 10 people I listening know, to know, this. I know, I know. Daniel. Daniel! Daniel. Hey, Daniel, shout. Like, Daniel's my brother. <laughs> he was. I don't know the rest of the words of that Elton John song. <laughs> it's a classic. It is a classic. Like, did you see the biopic of him? Of the Elton John biopic? Yeah. With Taron Edgerton? Yeah. It was pretty Amazing, good, man. Yes. Did you see that movie? Yeah. Oh, so good. And even the the uh, Freddie Mercury run. Both of those are best movies in the last two years. Like, fantastic. Yes. Because they're honest about Very. their creativity and about their brokenness. Really? New movie you need to check out. It's on Netflix. It's a... Um, I was telling Alan Cooney about it today. Uh, Unintended Passenger, I think is what it's called. It's on Netflix. Oh, they shoot him to the moon and got to decide what... I mean... Whether the, the poor Did guy you watch it? No, 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 don't say anything. No, I just know the dude like gets launched and didn't mean to. That's, That's right. All I know. That's right. That's not giving away. Dude, gospel movie right there. Ridiculous. Well, I could good. tell by the trailer that they were asking the right questions. It, who, who lives, who dies, and why? Like, it is. I mean, it's one of those philosophical quandaries. Yeah, for you sure. You know, that every yeah. philosophy student just dies yeah. for. But. It they answer it really. It's one of those rare times where Hollywood actually answers their question in a good way. And now movie reviews with John Stone. <laughs> What's another movie Crystal. you've seen recently that you really loved? Well, I gosh, that I really loved. I've watched a lot of movies just because we were home, and I don't. Yeah, I could recommend a lot of movies, but you kind of like with him early. I was going to answer that until you said really loved. What's a good movie you saw recently? Um. Um. Well, right now I'm rewatching Psych. Do you know that's not a movie? Yeah, the, the TV, TV show. Series. Yeah, it's hilarious. No, no, it's not hilarious. It's amazing. We're yeah. in the season where they changed the front song to all these like Bollywood and country western. And um, last night I watched Without Remorse, a Tom Clancy novel. Um, Is that good, Michael B. Jordan? Definitely worth watching. I had read the book. They did a good job of bringing it to the to the modern world. This is funny. I wanted to, um, it's a little too philosophical. It's really? good. No, no, no. I wanted John Wick. So here's how John Wick okay, works. Okay, I love this. <laughs> John Wick starts. Yeah. There's one scene, and then they fight, and then it's over. Yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. There's maybe... Th- John Clark is the main character. It was just more... Yeah, it's it's yes, you should watch it without hesitation. It's not John Wick, is what I'd say. John Wick is just like how to take a gun or anything around you and kill someone yes. because they killed your friggin' puppy. Well, and in this case, this was more. Yeah, Wick has less moral high ground because Clark's wife dies in like the first three minutes. Okay, so it reminds me. What's the old Steven Seagal movie, Hard to Kill? Yes, <clears throat> excuse me, where he gets shot up, his wife is yeah. shot or whatever, yeah. and then he. I just remember the part where they do acupuncture with the little little cotton balls that are on fire smoking around him. Yes. You remember that? Yes. Like, that's what I thought that movie was like. But just more special forces Yes. Yes. So, you, you, like, you watched Without Remorse already? No, no. I oh. saw the ticker the other night. I got to wait for my kids to go to bed before I watch anything like that. Yeah, that's probably true. It's not... It's an interest. You'll enjoy it. I really enjoyed it. But we wanted John Wick. I'm going to keep saying yeah. that. So I love John Wick type movies, but team movies. Is there a four coming out? I'm sure, man. That we're going together, you and me. So, so 
Keanu is like the new bad guy in the new Star Wars series that they're gonna movies that they're gonna start working on. That breaks my heart a little bit. I, and it's a character. I love nobody knows. that he's recasting himself that way, though. He'll still have kind of the hair that goes down yeah. here and the rough. I'm sure he's actually a genuinely nice guy. You watching interviews with him? Yeah, where he gets up out of the subway seats for ladies to sit down. He's amazing. I mean, in some ways, yeah, he's the guy you wish more Hollywood had. Yeah. So there's a clip of him on like Letterman or something where. Um, Letterman says, what do you believe happens after you die? Have you seen that? Uh-uh. And he says, well, I know that our loved ones will really love, will really miss us and really think about the fond memories that are some. Yeah. And I was like, dang, man, like I'm in love with you. <laughs> I didn't know it. Like, that was just amazing. He's just a much nicer guy than, and he's kind of portrayed as like this dumb jock, but man, I mean, look, no matter what you say, the first Matrix movie Top 15 movie of Fifth, all time. Amazing. Not top 10, but top 15. Amazing. Are you looking forward to the new one that's coming out? I, if they can pull it off. I mean, they got so lost. I mean, The Matrix did what it had to do. Yeah. But it was like the TV show Lost. Like, where did we go? Like, <laughs> I thought we had found something and we got lost on the way and then we, we did. We never should have made two and three. And three, I was okay with. Really? I don't feel like it concluded anything. Like, I was not... And I watched him in the Well, theater. he had to take over the Matrix. So, that was the only part. I mean, it's like he yeah. had to... Um, yeah, but... At 55, about to be 56 years of age, until I see a movie, I'm not looking forward to it. But I... I yeah. I think we're about to have the best year of movies coming up starting August 1st because they've held all these movies back, and they're just going to... It's the same with music. One of my buddies in Nashville is like, I'm like, hey, dude, what are you doing with your time? And he's like, I've already finished four albums. The next six years of my career are done. That's I, so interesting. I'm already there. Well, yeah, it's going to be really interesting because, okay, just just a step for just a half second into politics. Fascinating for Marissa and I to watch the TV series NCIS, for instance, has been on 18 years. Yeah, They picked up filming, and they picked up filming a few months ago. I mean, you know. Like so filming an NCIS movie? In, no, the, in, no, the NCIS series took oh, off okay, on TV. Oh, okay, okay, okay. First three, they all have masks, they're social distancing. Suddenly, it just disappears, which says the ratings came back, and they're like, we better take the mask off and stop mm -hmm. talking about COVID. And so it'll be interesting which movies try to play into that or, or, or like, that didn't happen, let's go back to... Yeah. It'll be interesting. Well, there's a threshold, I think. That oh, we're way past. People... It's real, but people don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, I, I think there's a threat, just like um, too soon, you know, the little yeah, yeah, yeah. tongue in cheek. Like, so I think there's a too soon area of it too. Where yeah. In the next like five to 10 years, we'll look back and it'll be a bio doc of some hero or heroine, like some type of heroic act that happened during it or whatever. It's stories that we don't even know That's will true. be told and written about. And that'll be good. And that'll be like, man. I remember how that was. Yeah. I remember that was crazy. You know? I, yeah, that's exactly right. You've been in Nashville or Tennessee lately? Knoxville, did mm -hmm. you go back? Oh, that's not true. I went back in September to do a wedding. Oh. I think it was August 31st. I went back some point last year did a wedding. Dude, Franklin, Tennessee doesn't realize there's a mask mandate. <laughs> it's amazing. I have a friend who does... Uh, REF at Carson Newman. That's Jefferson City, Tennessee. If you've never heard of Jefferson, Tennessee, yeah. it's it's as if veil. It's just like veil only. 
Oh. Their Walmart never had a wear a mask sign up. <laughs> now, the Walmart serves a county, right? Yeah. That's and a- there's three stoplights. Maybe a population of at large 15,000 people. He's convinced people out there don't own masks. They don't <laughs> own them. He sent me a picture like three weeks after the world shut down and went, what are y'all doing out there? And literally, they're just in the – they're playing little league baseball at the swimming pool. It's like South Tucson. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. But wow. It'll also be fascinating when there's some honesty about this, not about the coronavirus, but like the places that were like – yeah, that's interesting. We're going to ignore it <laughs> and just kept on. There's a lot of those places. Oh, dude, we're at 40 minutes. Is that okay? That's fine. <laughs> yeah, Atlanta. So Atlanta used to be the really the hot spot for movies and stuff. So that, that's where like The Walking Dead was filmed. Right. I didn't know that. Tons and tons of like a lot of the Marvel movies were filmed there. But for some reason, like they just stopped filming stuff in Atlanta becomes some of some state legislation or something. Do you hear anything about that? They, um, so in response to what they, now look, the legislature believes there was voter fraud in Georgia. I have no idea. Right. I literally believe not have no opinion about this. Yeah. But they passed, this is crazy, a, a, a law that said you have to have an ID a driver's license or something else. And I'd have to look. Right. Well, in our day and age, that's considered voter suppression. I have no idea. But but they're canceling movies because of that law is is really interesting, is what I'd say. Um, but again, I don't know yeah. what voter suppression really looks like. I mean, you know, Back in the day, you had people standing there with guns. If you're the wrong color, you got told to leave. That's voter suppression. <laughs> and voter suppression would be more subtle. And right. But that's what it was about. It's huh. this new law about how you vote. Wow. And if you, I read a little bit, I only read a little bit about it. Like, I mean, this last election had more people voting. It's not close than any other vote percentage-wise. Yeah, so, yeah. Were you so, ever in a movie? Was ever in a movie? I was on a TV like, show. Oh yeah, what is it? Uh, DIY the rescue. You try to fix something at your house, you, you make it worse. They come and fix it for you. <laughs> was it your house? Yeah. <laughs> you can find it. I was also on an Anthony Bourdain. Um, really? No reservations. Yeah, he was doing a show. We didn't know this in Charleston, South Carolina, at Husker. Um, no, me at Mama. Um, it's the name of a slave, and the slave passed her recipes on to this little girl, and the woman who opened the restaurant, that was her grandmother, right? So it's a long time. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's a very famous Mia's or whatever. It's, I'm, but um, he was filming, in fact, we didn't know it. We were down with Danny Clark, an RUF campus minister. Danny and his family were sitting on that side of the table. We're here, and we, we, would, <laughs> not have, we would not have known we were on it until um, – we're sitting home one night and our phone starts blowing up. People are like, you're on TV. We're like, yeah, we did this DIY to the rescue. And they're like, no, no, you're on Anthony Bourdain's number. I'm like, no, we're not. And we turn it on. Every time they went to commercial, they focus on one of our family's faces. So it went, me, Sarah, Catherine, <laughs> Marissa, Mary Simpson. Wow. <laughs> Dude, I Clear watched that show. Bell. Never noticed it. Was it a later season or an earlier season? Earlier season. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure it's... 
It was a long-running show of his. I assume it was no reservation. He had a couple of shows, but yeah, I mean, it's... That's the longest one he ever had. I'll have to look up the name of that restaurant. And DIY to the rescue? So DIY was an original channel. It's I've called, got it on Discovery yeah. Plus. And DIY to the rescue was their first really successful program. And they would come in and you'd say, I have this problem. I tried to fix it and I didn't fix it. And they would fix it for you. And I had a strange pergola that had been a deck before I bought it and it had rotted. Right before they sold me the house, they took the decking off. Uh, what should have been an upstairs deck and a covered entrance into your house, it, in, anyway. But when they did, it had all these unintended consequences of like rain got in and it, wow. it it made my doorway rot. So I put up this terrible roofing and it wasn't a bad idea, but I didn't know how to connect it to the house and it actually created a bigger <laughs> hole in my ceiling, which I had somebody fix and you couldn't tell. But my neighbor went to so. A lot of people don't know this, but um, who bought DIY? Is it Discovery? Yeah, that's what the network yeah, Discovery, that I've got. But, but, HGTV. But HGTV's headquarters were Knoxville, Tennessee, and people don't know this. They're they're oh, internet. Wow. Had a, I played golf at a place called Dead Horse Lake Golf Course, and HGTV had these three big buildings, satellites. So, if you watch huh. any HGTV show, they either say, "Hey, we're here at John Stone's house." and today we're going to fix this plumbing, or we say, hey, we're here in Jacksonville, Florida. If they don't say where they are, they're in Knoxville. So you see them shooting. They really? shoot shows all over Knoxville. Huh. All those shows. Weird spaces, DIY. Well, DIY The Rescue went on forever, and um, my neighbor, my next-door neighbor, talk, said to the, to her lady in Sunday school, you're a producer. I really want to be on that show, and I want you to fix my bathroom. So my neighbor had a bathroom, and they dug up the floor, Chris, literally, and found this Roman tub, which made it really hard to fix. And instead, a Roman tub just means a sunk tub. Yeah. Huge, beautiful porcelain tile. They didn't know it was there. And um, tried to figure out what to do with it and make the bathroom usable and failed miserably. The show did. No, or the no, people, people did. And so oh, okay. she was telling this lady this. This is a hilarious story. Um. She goes, oh, that's perfect for what we want to do. In fact, she came by our house and said, I'm going to send them over here. But for y'all to do it, we have to get one of your neighbors. We shoot, They shoot two shows at once. So oh. there's two co-hosts, a man and a woman, and they often don't appear on screen at the same time because they do an opening at their house, they do an opening at your house, and then he works with you for five hours on one thing. She comes, and in three days they shoot two shows with one crew. I mean, smart. Yeah. And so... They rejected her bathroom and redid her playroom. She had no kids at home. <laughs> Did all this crazy cool stuff for her playroom. <laughs> and I had, like, the lady came over to interview us, and after a few minutes she goes, you stop. We're going to be just fine with you. <laughs> had this old house, and they wanted to do this project because they'd never done a roofing project, and uh, they had advertising, which was great for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And so um, – they do your whole roof too, in addition to that. Well, other... the roof was about as big as these two rooms. It was, yeah. I think it was twenty by thirty type thing. I think it was actually twenty five by fifteen. Yeah, and so, but that was a. It looked like a pergola, two columns, wood, open. You could see. So they didn't have to build that. They just had to set a roof on it. They actually did something that worked for a while, and then I. I did something different. They put down a rubber thing. Put down a, uh, a little. Um, Fence around, like a tiny little fence. Put gravel in it. But what eventually happens, that gravel got real green and moldy. So I pushed all the gravel off and just left the exposed rubber. And we put down, and it looked great. So 
They did what they did looked great the day they left. They actually part of the reason they did it is they built a room. It came out of our bedroom. That was originally a uh, a deck out of our bedroom and had a double door. Yeah. They actually put a Romeo and Juliet balcony right there. And it, when they finished, it looked great, but it wasn't that useful. We got rid of the the double doors, put a because kids could walk out and fall theoretically yeah. if you didn't have it locked all the time. We put a window in and redid it and made it look great. But yeah, but I'm on t- two TV shows. So and, do they do that for free? Or they use your budget that you're already going to. Free. They do it for free. Yeah. So what do you have to sign a paperwork that says, "Hey, if we totally screw the pooch on this?" All kind of things. Yeah, it's, you're stuck with it. But is it fun? Is it a fun experience? It is fun. It is absolutely fun. You'd love to do it. You know, the little sometimes you do a shoot forty minutes to hit one nail, pull the nail out, hit it again, put the. Uh, so some of that can get a little. You they know. provide food for yeah, the time because it, no, they have to. It's a, this is a union. You got sound people. You got three cameramen. You got makeup people. You got production assistants. You got a, a you got a director. Um, the thing that frustrated us is we were in the flight pattern, and that guy, sound guy would say, "Here comes a plane. We have to stop. Uh, Here comes a plane. We have to stop." And so was it that loud? I couldn't hear it, but he could because he oh, had you know, he's he's uber sensitive. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so you and I learned a bunch of stuff about at, production, about it all, but just but they had this big spread because they're required to feed their crew, and we got to eat it. Yeah. And every day they bring some great food food from Knoxville, and because it was HGTV, they knew where the great food was because they're they're headquartered there. Yeah. So wow. <laughs> the guy was Australian and was really he almost he, he you can see him. In the first Pirates of the Caribbean, in the fight scene in the underground, underground thing where where um, Johnny Depp has become one of them. Which you, which movie is that? The third, the very movie? first one, the first one, uh, the first one where. Okay, he, that's I only watched like the first and second one. I didn't. The watch first it. one, anyway. This guy's in the first one. Okay, and then she was an actress. Did a great job. She's married to this guy. Was this famous rock and roller? But I didn't know who it was. It, Famous rock and roller in sort of the Seattle grunge scene, but pretty famous, I found out later. They were awesome. You know who, what, the, what his name is? Eddie Vedder? No, it wasn't that. I know Eddie. <laughs> but I can figure it out. That's so funny. You ever been in a movie? No, I've been on TV. So the first time I was ever, well, probably the second time. First time was at a, a Huntsville All-Stars game. It was a minor league baseball league. It was the same league that Michael Jordan was in when he played for the Birmingham Barons. Yeah. We were in Huntsville. Absolutely. And I saw Michael Jordan play actually basketball and baseball within two-year time. Which is cool. Like, super cool. Especially since he was serving suspension from the NBA while he played baseball. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it was it was a ridiculously sweet gig. But, yeah. Um, so I was in that saying, Channel 31. You know, they had the kids say, yes. what channel? The other time was... I was on Captain Kangaroo when I was five years old. <laughs> Captain awesome. Kangaroo was a kid's show in South Carolina that a weatherman did, and I was on that one time. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The second time I was on, on a... I think it was Channel 31, is they, they were at an intersection, uh, uh, Highway 31 and Highway 67 intersected in Decatur, yeah. where I grew up. I've been down it. Oh, yeah. And... um. I'm coming down, and you can see the road crew on this little intersection concrete piece, and they're doing a piece about the intersection. Probably, I don't know what it's about or whatever, and so they're across the way. And so I'm coming down 67 to go right on 31, 
And when I when I do, I roll down my window and I'm like, 19, 19. And when I do, I hit the little median, concrete median thing that's around the curve. And my Jeep just bounces up. Did you hurt it? I, told, I just ran right of that bad boy. Popped a tire and floated. And it was all on the news. And the news lady's like, turns around and like watches and said, should have been a 31 fan or whatever. <laughs> she, she won. <laughs> she said that and they aired it that oh, night. That's the best. <laughs> it was great. So we didn't have phones or text messaging, you know, back then, but the next day at school, it's like, my mom saw you on news last night. <laughs> Blowing your tire up. That's so beautiful. Gosh. I sat there forever and they just did their newscast. But I've never been on a show. Like in Fairhope, that's a big place where people do movies for small town movies. Oh, yeah. And there's a couple Netflix movies. Like Nicolas Cage did some movies. Bruce Willis. Is, like, so it's, it's one of those eclectic places. So we had youth. And what we would do is we would take the youth to the, um, uh, what's it called? One of the little hotels that's downtown. And you go in the lobby on um, recruitment day or whenever they're, they're, they're doing interviewing people to be in these things. And so they would choose our youth to be in these different little movies that happen. So That's cool. I never got chosen, but Marissa tried to get in the fir- um, the firm, the movie, the firm. Tom, we just watched that the other night, and but she couldn't. But she did go down early one morning when they were filming something. They were almost here, and they got to meet Tom Cruise. She and some oh, girls wow. in a Bible study at Independent Press. I actually walked into a movie shoot one time in Los Angeles. I was staying in a hotel, the Hollywood Hilton, which seems crazy expensive, but certain times of year it's there's no one there is cheap. And I was doing my job and had a room and stepped out of the room and actually slipped and the door closed. I was locked out. And uh, so I just go to the elevator, push the button, I'm going to go down. When the elevator is open, I get on, I notice there's a stool in the corner. I don't think much about it, right underneath the buttons. And when I hit the main floor lobby, I'm, I mean, it's early. I'm not thinking much. I step out. <laughs> And there were three people at this other, this is a big hotel. Yeah. I think it's where they have the People's Choice Awards. Oh, wow. Um, and these three people kind of snap around and look at me. <laughs> I wouldn't remember that. I could just, you know, out yeah. of my periphery, I'm just trying, I need to get to the desk, get a key. Who cares? Yeah. I'm not even in a rush. At this point, there's profanity. Somebody streams, black, are you blank? Cut. <laughs> you are you in your PJs at this? No, point? no, no. I just okay. well, I'm in I'm in some champions shirts and a normal T-shirt, so I, I just look like a a male, a normal and a, dude. Yeah. And, yeah. But I don't. So I just walk to the desk, and there's I should have noticed this. There's no lot of blonde, uh, an an Asian male, like a Philippine slash African American light, you know, brownish person, and then a black male. And I said, man, I locked myself, I locked myself out of the, my room. She goes, I don't work here. And she's flustered. <laughs> At this point, this guy says, sir, what's your name? I said, I'm Johnson. He goes, John, you, I said, have I done something wrong? He goes, no, you just walked into a movie shoot. Well, where the cameras were, I couldn't see them. But I turned around, there's the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, it was Spider-Man. Which one? No, 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 um. Yeah, Spider-Man, the first one. The Sam Raimi one with Tobey Maguire? Y- yes. Wow. And do- it was Tobey at the ele- of elevator with at some scene. Is that I- why the stool was in- under the button so there he could reach the to- buttons? No. There was a guy who was supposed to be sitting there 
who said you can't go to the lobby. So they walked me. Uh-huh. This is a security guy, huge ex NFL guy, walks me down, and there's a temporary. They give me a key, and he goes, he goes, somebody getting fired because you can't get off. So I mean, literally, they're shooting. They've walked through the lobby. <laughs> well, I went, he goes, come back up, and he showed me there was a car scene outside his car, the spider. Yeah, but this is when he was a kid. But anyway, it was I walked. That's so I, crazy. I wasn't in the movie, but I blew up that scene. I'm and so makes, proud of that you. That makes me think it was probably going well. Yeah. Because the words that came out of the directors, but who's the guy that left his post maybe to do cocaine or something? I'm just, you know, I don't know. He's in the gutter now. He is, or else he's a bazillionaire. He'll never find another job in that town again. <laughs> hey, well, this was fun. I got another this podcast was, to do. This was fun. <laughs> 56 minutes. Hope y'all enjoy. Wonder how many hung out to the end. I think this is a good test to see if listeners actually prefer a 20-minute or an hour long. There we go, brother. Good being with you. Yeah, John Parrott, he does his long. He's are long. Yeah, he's long. And so it'll be a good test to see. So thanks, John. We'll see y'all later on the pipe. See see you down the road. (laughs) That's a trademark thing. You can't say that. I'm just kidding. I have no clue. If it is, what are they going to get out of us? (laughs) 